He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Hmm. When Vanessa and I first uh, moved to Portland, uh, can you turn that so I don't stare at myself? Thanks. When Vanessa and I first moved to Portland, uh, we we met Jeff and Chelsea Lacine, and he was an exuberant and still is an exuberant evangelist. And uh, he inspired us to go down to Pioneer Courthouse Square in the evenings and to open-air preach. And I had another friend and another time when we would go to Portland State, and we would go to the campus of Portland State, and we would open-air preach, uh, just telling people about Jesus and his love for them. But this was, the, this was the opener. This is how we started our opener preaching sermons. I know a man who came back from the dead. I know a man who came back from the dead. And that would grip people, and it would stop them to look and see if we're actually serious. Brothers and sisters, you know a man who actually came back from the dead. It's not just a story. It's just something fictional. You know a man who came back from the dead. So let's look at this text. Verses 1 through 4. Look at these women. These two faithful, loving female disciples that had just are about to witness something extraordinary that God is going to do. But I have to tell you something about these women. First, they are very dear women. In the last three days, their faith has been severely shaken. They were having a hard time believing that Jesus' words would be actually fulfilled. And I have to tell you something else. The very fact that these women are on the way to the tomb to anoint the body indicates that they did not believe that Jesus was actually going to be raised from the dead. They were on their way there to anoint his body. They did not think they were going to find a resurrected man. So the first thing I want you to see this morning is that God is going to vindicate and exalt his son with some incredible, extraordinary, the most of extraordinary displays of power. See, it's early on Sunday morning here in this text, verses 1 to 4. And the two Marys here are on the way to the tomb. Mark tells us in his gospel that they were going there for the purpose of anointing the body. And Matthew just tells us they were just going to come see the tomb. Which makes perfect sense. Because Matthew tells you that there were, there were guards stationed at the tomb and that the tomb had been sealed. Matthew knows that even if Jesus was there, these women were not going to be able to get in and anoint the body. They couldn't move the stone. There would have been, no, there would have been no, no, no way to do it. But what you need to see is that they were devoted to Jesus. They were loving Jesus. They were there at the last moment at the cross. And these women were the first to come to the tomb. They, they show far more courage and, and, and bravery than the, disciples, than the men did. 
they're the ones that want to go, they just, they just want to stand outside. Mark says they wanted to go anoint. Matthew doesn't say that because he realizes, okay, how would they have moved the stone? But they were devoted to him. Even though they didn't actually think he was going to be resurrected. You know, we're, we're talking about Matthew's gospel here, but I just want to make a remark about Mark's. Mark is the earliest of the gospels that has been transmitted to the people. And the thing about the earliest gospel writers and the thing about the apostles is that Mark's document and Matthew's document and all the New Testament by all early historians is considered to be a historical document meaning they're recounting something that actually happened. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome were around when Mark's gospel was distributed because they could still be interviewed. People could go up to Mary Magdalene and say, is that how it really happened? You know, that's how it, if you, if you flip real fast to 1 Corinthians 15, around verse 5 or 6 or so, Paul says that there are hundreds of people who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. I deliver to you what is of first importance and receive that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, and then he appeared to the brothers one at a time, and then he appeared to more than 500 people. The point I'm making is the reality of the resurrection. Jesus really was raised from the grave. And when Jeff and I and Vanessa and I and Chelsea and I were standing there, open air preaching, we were saying, I know a man who was really raised from the dead. Because these are actual historical documents that historians would consider their veracity to be true. But think about one other thing and then I'll move on to my next point. If you were going to make something up, and, I, and, I, and I, I look at you through the camera and say, I love the women of this church. I think that, 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 that you're absolutely wonderful, but if you were going to make something up in the first century, one of the ways that you would do it is you would say that women were the first people to see the resurrection. Because women weren't respected as they... Are, are, are today or even should be more today. If you're going to make up something that's fake, that's not true, you wouldn't make an incredible, uncredible rather, witness to be the first witness of the resurrection. In other words, it must be true. Because you're not going to build Christianity on the back of someone who is an uncredible witness. Listen to this. This is actually in the Talmud. Speaking of the testimony of women. Excuse me, it's in the Mishnah. Speaking of the testimony of women. He says, those who are ineligible as witness are dice players, pigeon flyers, traffickers, slaves. And this is the general rule that any of the evidence of women would not be eligible to bring. These are not eligible 
witnesses. So even in the Mishnah, it says that a woman would not be a, a, a credible witness, but yet, because of Jesus' care for women, he makes them to be the first witnesses of his resurrection. And therefore, it must be true. This entire thing, this entire Christian religion cannot be built on the back of uncredible witnesses unless it's true. It, it, the paradox is, it, it's, it's paradoxically logical. So that's the first point that I want you to see this morning. The reality of the resurrection. I know a man that was raised from the dead. And so do you. And the second thing I want to show you. Uh, the main character in Victor Hugo's Les Mis is Jean Valjean. And he's out on parole after 19 years in a French prison. Valjean, at this point, has become a hardened and bitter man. He's denied shelter at several respectable establishments because uh, his passports identify him as a, as a former convict. But finally, he's taken up by a, a kind local pastor, a local bishop of sorts. But in the middle of the night, Valjean runs off and he steals the church silver. And the pleats, they catch up to him and Valjean lies and he claims that the, that the bishop, that the local pastor gave it to him. He gave him the silver as a gift. And the police drag him back to the bishop's house, where the bishop not only validates Valjean's deception, but chastises him for not taking the candlesticks as well. And Valjean, of course, is utterly confounded. His identity up to that point has been thief, prisoner, sinner. He's been a number on a page, maybe. But now he's been seen as a human and he's been shown mercy. But it's more than mercy, isn't it? Mercy would simply involve dropping the charges. Mercy would be dropping the charges, but the bishop goes further and he actually rewards, in a sense, Valjean for his transgression and shows him mercy upon mercy. The bishop acts in a way that we just absolutely wouldn't expect of him. He treats Valjean with reckless, overruling, what the law would demand, kind of grace. And he even takes a major risk and he blesses this criminal who would never have any ability to repay him. His love, the love of the bishop to Valjean has everything to do with the sacrifice of loving him out of sheer mercy and grace. And it just grips Valjean. It absolutely grips him. It causes him to question everything in his life. It causes him to question everything in the world. And, and in the musical... His his bewilderment at the goodness which he's been shown ends up like this in song. One word from him and I'd be back. 
beneath the lash upon the rack. Instead, he offers me my freedom. I feel my shame inside me like a knife. He told me that I have a soul. How does he know? What spirit comes to move my life? Is there another way to go? There is another way to go. Valjean has now totally been set free. He's been set free of his guilt by the love of a man. Which I'm just trying to illustrate verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. You ever thought about verse 9 before? Jesus just says, how you doing? Hey, these are people that didn't think he was going to be resurrected. They had come to anoint him. They had come to just see him. And he just says, how's it going? He's just there. He meets them in their unbelief with sheer mercy and grace. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't say, what, what, what are you doing here? Why didn't you, you know, wh- wh- where you been? He just says, how's it going? Greetings. And you know what? This Easter morning, that's what Jesus says to you. He just says, Greetings. Hi, I'm here. Your sin, your failure, your mistakes, your lack of thinking that I wasn't going to be resurrected, it's gone. It's water on the bridge. It's Jean Valjean to the bishop. You should have taken the candlesticks too. That's what I see when I see the word greetings. You should have taken the candlesticks too. I'm here. And that's the hope that we have. And can it be? One of my favorite hymns, Charles Wesley. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My heart was free. Our hearts become free by the finished work of somebody else for us. Our hearts become free by grace. Christianity is not a religion of moralism. And this story, this historical depiction we're looking at absolutely destroys and shatters every possible moralistic approach to Christianity. So are we now where Christ has led. Hallelujah. Following our exalted head. Made like him, like him we rise. Ours is the cross, the grave, and the skies. I'll give you one last illustration illustration. 
is Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13 is where uh, Abraham and his nephew Lot, they split. There's a, there's a controversy between them, and they, and they split. And Abraham knows, though, that God has promised him the land in chapter 12. But to resolve the, the controversy, he says in 13.8, this. It's Abraham talking to Lot. Let there be no strife between you and me. No more beefing. You pick the land. Take whatever you want. And what God tells him to do in 13.14, tells Abraham to do in 13.14, he says, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Northward, southward, eastward, and westward. 15, for all the land you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as dust of the earth so that if one could even count the dust of the earth, your offspring offspring also can be counted. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies. It's all ours. What God tells Abram to do is to just take a big stinking walk. Just walk around. It's all going to be yours anyway. And that's true for us because of what Jesus has done. The Bible says that you and I are going to inherit the earth. We're going to inherit the earth because of the resurrection. It's all ours. Which means it's okay. You can relax. We can be like our example here, Abram. Yours is the cross, yours is the grave, yours is the skies, which means in the midst of, the, of, the, of what Lily calls the bad sick, it's going to be okay. We don't, God's always doing a million things that we don't understand. But we know one thing because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I know a man who was raised from the dead. Which means that ours is the cross, the grave, the skies. It's all ours. We have an imperishable, unlosable hope. He is risen. He is risen. Father, thank you for your word. We pray, God, that we would find great hope in the fact that we know a man who was raised from the dead. Let us worship him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.